I'd like to invite you to turn in your Bibles to James chapter 1. As you're turning there, that uh, clip, uh, if you are unaware or newer to our church, uh, the Freshwater Church, we're part of a denomination called the Christian Missionary Alliance. And uh, that uh, guy we saw there on the screen is one of our international workers that's working over in Tibet right now. And uh, we just want to let you know that. And if you help support uh, the missionary effort of the CMA, you're helping to support that guy right there. Uh, he's one of them. Um, you know, over the past uh, 10 years, is a, uh, the buzzword, or one of the buzzwords that's out there in our culture, in, in Christian culture, and actually secular culture, is this uh, phrase, social justice. And it's, it's all the rage right now. And I've tried to figure out why I don't connect with that phrase. And, and, and part of me has a, a rebellious streak. Um, when I, when I, you know, it's just like when I see everybody doing it, I'm like, ugh, I don't want to do that. The problem is it's justice. So like, how do you stop doing justice? But um, the other part of it is I feel like there's obviously that word is loaded and it's been co-opted by different ideologies. So when somebody says social justice, I have to go, okay, wait a minute, my gate's down because I don't know what do you mean by social justice? Because do you mean the same thing that I mean? And then it becomes this ongoing conversation. I think another piece of it is, is uh, when we think of justice, I think a lot of us think, well, you know, that's what the government does. We have a whole department of justice. They're the ones hired to go do this. The FBI is part of the Department of Justice. Police officers are the ones who administer justice, right, or keep the justice, the justice of the peace. I don't know. You have judges, which here in a few days, we're going to be electing new judges. So I don't know whether you figured out which judges you uh, should vote for in terms of conscience and how the Spirit would direct you, but get that figured out because that comes on Tuesday, and you don't know what kind of person or, or a judge. You get somebody up there on the bench that's administering justice that doesn't have a standard of righteousness. What are, what are you going to get? Sorry, a little political thing, but that's biblical. Um, I'm not running for any judge or anything like that. But anyway, I, I look at the justice thing, and we've got judges, and we've got Department of Justice, we got police officers, and, and you watch, you know, you see like Tonto and um, Lone Ranger, and they were out there to do justice and uh, ride around on their white horse. And, uh, and it's one of those things where I, I just don't know how many of us like wake up and, you know, we, we go out the door and, and think, all right, it's a day I'm going to bring justice to the world. I mean, nobody does that. I mean, it's just people in spandex do that on TV screens, and the last thing we need is a 45-year-old man walking around in spandex. Um, but we don't have any choice but to consider this whole idea of justice because of where we are in James. James chapter 1, verse 27. We're going to skip verse 26 because it has to do with the tongue, and we're going we're gonna to spend more time talking about the tongue here in chapter 3, where James dedicates a lot of that chapter to that. So we're going to move right to verse 27. And it says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. Two things. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. We're going to focus in on just the first thing today. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. As you read that verse, um, it's always 
kind of held for me a little bit of attention because it seems like what James is saying here is that's all? Like, what about like the cross? Does that have anything to factor into pure religion, pure faith? I mean, that's what can happen. I mean, it's a dangerous statement in that sense because if you just take it for face value or it seems like face value, then you're just saying, look, if you want to just get to heaven, just take care of widows and orphans and you'll be in. But if you look at the whole context of the passage in the letter, not only in chapter 1 and chapter 2, and you'll, you'll see it as we get into chapter 2 even more, James is writing to an audience where he was seeing a behavior of them listening and taking in and absorbing all this stuff and, and not really practically living it out. And we'll get into that more next week. And it's with that broader context that John Calvin, and who's John Calvin? He's a really dead smart guy, Christian guy, a long time ago, lived over Geneva. Um, and he says this, he said, James does not define generally what religion is, but reminds us that religion without the things he mentions is nothing. And I like that. I like that clarity on it. He's not generally defining what religion is. He's just simply saying religion without these things is nothing. What particular things? Taking care of widows and orphans, for instance, and keeping ourselves unstained by the world. And so we're going to take a, a look at the first half of this. And in this room this morning, um, and in the previous service as well, I realize there are those of you here in this room who are orphans and you are widows or widowers. And uh, as I was walking through doing this message this past week, um, this was one of those moments where I got to Wednesday and Thursday and started to write and everything I was writing was like, oh my goodness, I can't say that because that would, I know what this person's gone through. Oh, oh I can't say that because, oh, that would be so offensive. And <laughs> Scott, what are you doing here? And, and so I spent, I spent a lot of time praying and just asking God, Lord, you got to give me the right words. And if I say something to you, those of you who have been widows or are widows and orphans, um, I just want, to, want you to know I, I need your grace because it was, it's not done intentionally and I've really tried to work in such a way that this honors and uh, um, honors you and esteems you and uh, helps speak to the body. So. But as we, we move through this, uh, this passage, he, we have to understand he's writing to a Jewish audience. And a Jewish audience, when they hear this phrase, widows and orphans, it's, it's a huge thing because of two different reasons. One of them is a culture of family. And in the Jewish nation, or the nation of Israel, family was everything. And it's not even the same as it is here. Family is huge here, but not like it is there because everybody sought to trace their family line literally back 2,000 years to Abraham. And people would, it wouldn't even go to like the prophets or King David. It would go even before him, past the judges, going back into past 900, going all the way to Moses. No, we're going past Moses. We're going to go to Jacob and the 12 sons. Like everybody wants to know, are they attached some way, some family line, all the way back to those 12 sons who were the 12 tribes of Israel. And then you can go all the way back to Abraham. And when he says widows and orphans, 
to the Jewish mind not to have that family line is like one of those ideas that's like, oh my goodness, how is that even possible? What do you do? Now, most of us maybe aren't that big into our genealogy and maybe, maybe we can trace back our family line for 600 years, maybe. Probably not 2,000 years. But family's still huge. Mom and dad, brother, sister, cousins, uncles. Could you imagine growing up in that culture And not only that culture, for our culture, and not having a mom or a dad, not having a family, having lost your loved one and not having anybody else, not having family to take care of you. Where do you go for holidays? Who do you call when you're hurting? Who do you call when you want to celebrate? I mean, what if... You had no one. You ever walked in the shoes of someone like that? Ever walked in the shoes of someone who's been an orphan? Or a widow or a widower? Family was huge. It was huge. And, and the loss of this is significant in that culture, just as it is today. Family was huge. The other thing about Jewish culture that was also significant is this whole thing of God and how he was the center of their whole nation and the focus of everything. And, and God came, it's interesting, he came to Abraham and he began to just teach Abraham relationally, who I am, who I am, this is who I am. But you, you don't get really any systematic teaching until you get to Moses after the exodus from Egypt, they're out Mount Sinai, and God comes and he says, I want you to understand who I am. And it's way bigger than just the Ten Commandments. God starts to say, this is me, this is the kind of God I am, this is what it means to be part of my family and bear my name. Because if you bear my name, then you're going to be like me. And he says this in Deuteronomy 10, he says, God, your God is the God of all gods. He's the master of all masters. A God immense and powerful and awesome. He doesn't play favorites, takes no bribes, makes sure orphans and widows are treated fairly, takes loving care of foreigners by seeing that they get food and clothing. God was saying, you want to know me? This is one of the things he said early on. This wasn't an addendum 600 years later. This is right there in the heart of it. I notice the widow, and I notice the orphan, and I treat them fairly. And the word we get from that Hebrew word right there, treated fairly, is justice. You go read through the Old Testament, you'll find this pattern of concern. Solomon, wisest man who ever lived, wrote this. He said, whoever presses a poor man insults his maker. He who is generous to the needy honors them. Widow and orphan often fall into this category. We insult God when we oppress or refuse to be generous to the widow and orphan. 
Is that all there is to that whole category of poverty? No, but often they are the ones who are poor. And what begins to happen as you go through Israel is Israel starts to waver from God, and you see this cycle over and over again, and ultimately it's just gone from God, walking away from God, and God sends prophet after prophet, and it's crazy how many times this subject comes up in God's accusation against Israel. He sent Isaiah, and he said, Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, Israel. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Apparently, they'd forgotten how to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Ezekiel says, In you they've treated father and mother with contempt. In you they've oppressed the foreigner, mistreated the fatherless and the widow. God spoke through Malachi, and he said this, so I am going to come and put you on trial. He's saying this to Israel. I will be quick to testify against those who oppress the widows and the fatherless and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. Amos, the prophet, said this, let justice roll on like a river of righteousness, like a never-failing stream. Oh, when James wrote this, he, they knew exactly what he was talking about. This is huge in the life of Israel, not only for family, but what you know of God. Jesus goes on, he has this famous message in Matthew chapter 25, it's the, the message of the sheep and goats, and it's this message about people who, who saw the poor and who saw the oppressed and the weak and, and the, the orphan and the widow would fall in that category, and he said, look, you guys didn't take care of those people, don't even think you're getting into heaven. And that's how Jesus says it. You're not getting into heaven. Walking by people like that. And James says that's pure faith, pure religion. So here's this concept justice. What is justice? When you look at Deuteronomy and, and then you look at what James is talking about here, justice at its roots has this word, and you may be familiar with it if you've been around Christian communities long enough or even actually hung around uh, Jewish, the Jewish community. You heard this word shalom. It means well-being. Well-being like mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, economically, education. I mean, it's, it's all of it. Shalom. Shalom is what God brings us. And shalom is what God wants his people to be concerned about with others. And so when we don't see the shalom with someone, he calls us to go and to bring it back into balance, to bring back equity into that. So this idea of justice is, is way, it's older than dirt. It's older than the fad it's just become. If you go and you look through church history, this is fascinating. I mean, you see this not only happen with Israel where they, they forget they forget God and, and how to live. You see it in the church. 
You can trace, actually, in the early church, all the way up, you know, through the first uh, centuries, uh, you know, the first millennia, you can watch and and just chart this on on a graph of when the church lost sight of this and when the church found revival. And it typically happened in the early days, it was with the monastery, the monastic movements. You'd see revivals. The Benedictine monks came along, and they started to bring revival to the church, and part of it was helping the widow and the orphan. The Celtic monks, or Celtic monks, however you want to call it, in the 600s, they did the same thing. The Dominican monks did that. That monastic movement came along, and they were all about reaching the widow and the orphan and the gospel. The Franciscan monks, the same thing. And what's, what's so encouraging is how the church, God keeps sending people to keep the church close to his heart. And there's always these renewals that come where the church discovers and wakes up and says, hey, wait a minute, my name is Christian. I am concerned about shalom. I am a woman or a man who will seek justice. Now, most of us, we probably would never say the word justice. You may never put it that way, but that's what we do, and it's not with a mask, and it's not with a cape. But when you invite a widow over to your house, when you go and clean the yard this fall, rake up leaves, make sure the house is in order, when you Go and call on someone. That's justice. When you see someone who has missing pieces of shalom or inequity and you as a Christian go and move into that, when we're talking widows and orphans, that's, that's justice. You can call it what you want. I just say, oh, I just, we're loving them. And that works. Some of you who work with single moms at APS. That's justice. Some of you who are mentoring students at the junior high or or helping out with the garage ministry where you have students whose parents are both in jail or students who only have one parent, really, and that parent's MIA and you're helping them out. That's, That's an orphan. There's all kinds of orphans and there's all kinds of widows and widowers. And we have couples in our church, and couples in our church who have felt called by God to become foster parents to children who have no home. And they bring them in and they call this child their own. They start to love them. We have all kinds of people who have adopted children, gone outside of their family to say, wait a minute, there is an orphan. I see this orphan. You don't think that makes a difference? This is, this is crazy how God works. This is a, a picture drawn by a young girl who was an orphan in our church just this morning, wasn't a part of this service, was up there, and they were talking about this idea of redeemed. 
to be pulled out of something and to be made new. And she draws a picture of a plane with herself in there. And she says, this is me flying from Korea to America. You don't think she'll ever forget that? And God says, this, this is pure. It's pure faith. We have a couple here this morning. It's not just that they have medical training. They have a calling to take in children who have a spectrum of disabilities, medical disabilities. And some you probably wouldn't even know if you saw them. And others you may see and, and recognize. But they take these children in and they love them as their own. Their whole house has been changed so they can love them. I've seen it with my own eyes. Mm. These children become their children. Uh, I just get, I get choked up every time I go over there. They open up their hearts and they open up their lives and they love these children and these children become their own. Two Sundays ago, we had our ministry fair and um, we had APS in here and Envision um, and the fish and, um, or Wadsworth Fish, not their fish radio station, (laughs) Wadsworth Fish and the garage and we asked, hey, we just put it out there for you all. Like, we didn't do much advertising. We just said, hey, look, if you've got these needs, this is what each ministry has, bring something. And I wish we had taken pictures. I don't think we did. Sean, did we? Yeah, we're not that smart. Um, we're going to get there. Um, and uh, you should have been here at the end of the day. I wish you could have seen it because uh, Paul Honeycutt's truck was completely loaded up with stuff. Like, it was all in the cab, it was in the bed, and he had no room for more. Lori, you got, he had to make two trips from the garage, loading up your car twice with stuff that we brought. I know Janelle Hood had to load up her car with all these wet wipes and fish head things, and I just sat back and I, I just was like, this is so cool. Like, there was no arm twisting, there was just simple responding. And we just put it out there, and... You know, we've sent a couple teams down to Guatemala now, and that's a school that helps. It's a ministry that helps with widows and their children. Uh, these kids, some of them have been orphans and been taken in, and it's, it's extreme poverty, and we've gone down there to help. And the people who go down come back, and they're just, they're not the same. They're just not. And I know some of you actually support students it's uh, uh, connecting hearts as the ministry, and you're supporting a student uh, financially to get them through school. Some of you, many of you probably are doing the uh, compassion thing or the uh, world vision thing where you're sponsoring a child. Uh, our family's been doing that for a number of years. Um, I think we're on our third child or something like that. What's funny is, the, this is really funny. Um, uh, my wife is a correspondent, and I, I write every once in a while, and she says, Scott, you've got to write. So she puts it in front of me, and I, I write, write our student. But uh, she's writing them. And, but what's funny in their culture is they always address the father. So every letter, even though Joe Lynn's the one that corresponds, every letter comes back, Dear Loving Uncle Scott. And Joe Lynn never gets mentioned. <laughs> and I rub it in every time. She's like, I'm so tired of this thing. I'm just like, that's so wrong. 
I don't know what to say about this because I see so many, and, and I'm not even telling all the stories. I mean, we have a ministry, I just look back here, there's uh, the Shepplers. You know, there's a whole group of people that are hanging out now with uh, those who are in their 70s and 80s and 90s trying to provide avenues for people to connect at that age. And I go, there's, there's so many things I see in our church that are healthy, that are going well. I, I don't know what to say except like, way to go. Like, way to go, guys. I hear stories. I hear stories. I hear a lot of them, and they're all, all the time I'm hearing these cool stories of, hey, this person called up that, that widow, or hey, this person's looking out for that student who doesn't have anything and doesn't have anyone. And, and, and I, don't, I don't know. Uh, I don't feel like God's saying you need to beat fresh water up because they're drifted so far. I just don't sense that. But some of you probably, you're probably feeling convicted because you aren't doing anything. And you need to. You really do. Some of you need to go on a trip. And you need to visit an orphanage. And you need to sit in a chair and hold a baby. Or a young child that has no one. And you need to let your heart break. Like, you've never had your heart break. I, I went to Africa. We were uh, in an orphanage there for a bit and saw some children. It's just, and it wasn't even an orphanage kind of thing. It was the floor of a, an apartment building that was just run down. And you're like, ah, oh, these children have no one. Have you ever gone out of your circle? And say, Lord, break my heart like your heart breaks for the lost and, and, and for the orphans and for the widows. You should do it. It's one of the best things. Because when, when God comes, and, and the reason he got so angry at God or at Israel was he came along, he said, Look, I'm gonna bless you. And I'm not gonna only just bless you, I'm gonna bless the nations through you. And Christ comes along and he says, look, I am going to bless you as my followers. I am going to bless you. And this blessing must bless this world. And God gets so mad when we hold on to that which he's blessed us with. And we're wealthy people here. We are. Whether we know it or not, we're wealthy people. If you have a family, you're rich if you have a home, you're rich. There are orphans who don't have a family. There's an orphans that don't have anything. And we're going to hold on to it? That's why God gets so mad. He says, okay, eventually I'll take it from you. I'll give it to somebody over here who understands it's a gift to be given away. Give it away. The district uh, puts out a newsletter. Um, I think it's monthly newsletter. I saw Jeff here. I'm sorry. I don't remember whether it's monthly or <laughs> bi-monthly. Our district superintendent. I do read it, by the way, just uh, so you know. I read it because I feel now I'm in big trouble. I'm just going to read this. But uh, Brian Neville, he's a, a pastor down in Logan, Ohio. Brian and his wife, Bethany. Everybody say Brian and Bethany. Brian and Beth. Pray for them. Here's their story. 
um, about nine years ago, they moved to Logan, Ohio. And uh, they felt drawn. They were praying like, Lord, we don't want to just assume to buy a house. Lead us to where you want us to live. And so they felt God drawing them to a certain neighborhood. And you know, the neighborhood, all the houses were all in their price range, but it was a broken down neighborhood. In fact, it was kind of known for being that part of town, whatever that means, but we all know what it means. Um, and so they ended up moving in, buying a house there, and they've lived there over the past nine years. And they've really felt this burden for their neighbors and loving their neighbors and reaching out to their neighbors. And they ended up reaching out to one neighbor, a gal, a mom with uh, four kids. And, and she started coming to church and she ends up coming to Christ. They lead her to Christ and she's growing in the Lord and she's got these, all these daughters, four daughters. And uh, I think like a lot of stories of people who are in that part of town, everybody's got a story and, and her story, uh, you know, came out probably early on in their relationship that she'd done things, broke the law, and at some point she might have to pay for those things if it comes back. And uh, sure enough, uh, October of last year, about a year ago, they came home and the, there was a sheriff's car in their driveway and another one in, in her driveway. And, and um, so they ended up arresting her, taking her to jail. And uh, she got out for a, a period of time, it seems like, and was able to talk with them. And she approached them um, one day and said, I don't have anybody for my daughters. I, there's no way I can give my daughters away to anybody in my family or my friends. Just, I don't have anybody. Would you take my daughters? Now, her sentence was going to be for four years in prison. And he said, at the beginning of November, Bethy and I began to pray. And, he, and when we, he, we started to ask him, Lord, what, what would you have us do? And he said, every time I prayed about the decision, scripture would come to mind. James, religion that our God, our Father, accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after widows and orphans in their distress. I would read things like 1 John 3, which says, if anyone has material possession and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. He says, I couldn't get away from these things. And the more we prayed and fasted, the more it seemed to be clear the direction from God was pointing out for our family. And he says, so to make a long story short, this past May, May 24th, they added, he says, we added four special little girls to our family of five. A four-year-old, a six-year-old, a 10-year-old, and a 13-year-old. My family and I are taking a leap of faith Pure faith, I guess I would add. <laughs> We're reminded that in the Bible, God never called anyone to anything small or easy, but he did call them, and it was because he was planning on showing up. Honestly, the whole situation is a little crazy. There's still mornings that I wake up and think, what have we done? With that being said, we really could use our prayers. Prayers for these four girls integrating into their family, prayer for their own children, and... The disruption prayer for Bethany, his wife, who's now leading a family here at home of all these kids.
That's pure faith. I don't know what else you call it. And some of you may think, I, I don't know what to do. I, 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 don't, I can't open my home. That's just not feasible in my stage of life or whatever, and I don't know what to do. And um, I don't know how to do this. I was just reading a book right now, and uh, it was, it's a story of a guy who's over in uh, Somalia back when it was all blowing up, uh, back in the mid-'90s. And he was there to bring food and aid, just the simple stuff to help people not starve to death. And uh, he tells a story one day of being in Somalia. He's just overwhelmed by all the needs. And, uh, and he, he had this one day where he met this mom who was obviously extremely malnourished. And she had a, an infant who was also extremely mal- malnourished, nursing her infant and stopped. And I think as the story goes, I've read so many stories of his, I think I got this right. So, um, but... Uh, he asks her her story, um, and so she tells him her story, and it's a story like so many others of village, fled her village, family's gone, killed, village is gone, probably killed or starved to death, and she's in this main city just trying to get aid, and, and he listens to her for like a half an hour, just her telling her story and uh, goes away to get her something and comes back and she's dead. And her infant's still alive. And uh, takes the infant and goes to a mom whose infant just died and says, "Would uh, would you want this baby to raise this baby? And there's just this divine moment. And uh, he talks about just overwhelmed breaking down, and uh, he said that probably the, one of the things they found most powerful for, for people who have been in this case, but I would say it counts for widows and orphans, is tell me your story. He said it's one of the things that brings the most dignity to people in sorrow and in loss, is tell me your story and listening to people's story. I mean, when's the last time you've actually had somebody ask you, would you tell me your story? Like, tell me your Christ story. Tell me your God story. Who are you? When's the last time you've asked somebody that and listened? I think sitting down with someone and saying, who are you? And just listening shows that they're important and they're loved, and they're noticed. For those of you who have been orphans or are orphans and widows, widowers, God notices you. He sees you. He says he's your father. And you're on his mind a lot. Let's pray.